This time of year always gets me kind of sentimental for my high school years. Because it was right about this time of year, you know, the right in the middle of the heat of summer, that this church would send all of us off to camp for a week. Where there was no air conditioning at all, and we had to sleep in cabins with screen windows. And, you know, we, we roughed it when we went to camp. It was tough. But I love those weeks at camp. Learned an awful lot. It was a bonding experience for all of us. Made some friendships. Made some friendships that continued from camp on into college and then continue to this day. There are people I met there that I still stay in touch with. One of my favorite aspects of camp, though, was the worship time. Always loved the worship time at camp, morning worship, and then in the evenings. And then usually the last thing we would do at night before heading back to our bunks was we would all gather out at the campfire for one more time of worship. Remember those times out there around the campfire? And there around that campfire, we would, we would sing some, some new songs that we had learned at camp, you know, new songs that, that just kind of uh, amazed us and thrilled us. They seemed fresh and alive. We'd also sing the old hymns that we had learned in our, in our home churches. And I just loved that blend, that, that blend between the old and the new. That's still, I've never lost that awe. I think it's one of the beautiful things that the ladies provide for us is that kind of blend of worship. One night really stands out to me. We were sitting around the campfire. The fire was big and the embers were just kind of dancing up into the sky. And we started singing one of those songs that we all knew from our home churches. Oh, Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made. We got to the chorus of how great thou art. And I remember in that moment, just as we got to that rising moment, ready to sing how great thou art, I looked up and I saw the embers mixing with a myriad of stars. And I just found myself lost in the bigness of God in that moment. That's what Psalm 8 does for us. If you want to join me in Psalm 8, if you've got those blue Bibles in front of you, it's on page 450. You can use your Bible app and get there. You brought a Bible with you. Thank you. And uh, join me in Psalm 8. All at once in Psalm 8, there is the bigness of God and the smallness of us in His world. And yet, in this image, in this psalm, God doesn't make us feel small. He doesn't make us feel less than we are. I've stood on a mountaintop in Washington State. It took me eight hours to get there. I never want to do that again. But I've stood there at the top of Silver Peak at the very top and looked out and I felt small. I stood on the edge of the, of the Atlantic Ocean, my toes in the water in Punta Cana in the Dominican Republic. I'd like to do that again someday. And I looked out over the ocean. You can't see anything, just water as far as the eye can see. And I felt small standing there. I've been with people who either by their estimation of themselves or their opinions of me, they've made me feel small. But here in Psalm 8, the one who could reduce us to nothing, the one who could reduce us to nothing, he welcomes us. He doesn't just welcome us, he raises us up. You see, nothing in creation is more beautiful to God than you. Nothing in creation is more beautiful to God than you. I hope you know that. 
I hope you feel that. Nothing is so amazing that it could distract God's attention from the attention that he gives to you. And Psalm 8 helps us hear that. You know, in a, in a small town with small lives, it's easy to think you're a small person, you're an insignificant person. You might think that you're easily overlooked in God's plan, but he is so in love with you that the grandeur of his creation cannot take his attention off of you. You see, there is no one so small that they escape God's notice or live without his purpose. Psalm 8 overflows with the largeness of our creation. God created you with a purpose. He created you to praise him. Now, as we've been making our way through the Psalms, we've been doing this for, oh, I don't know, eight weeks now, probably, because we're at Psalm 8. As we've been making our way through the Psalms, Psalm 8 comes along at just the right time for David as we've made our way through the Psalms. Psalm 3 through 7, those were Psalms of David, and those were Psalms, Psalms 3 through 7, 3, 3 through 7 where David pours out his troubles to God. Psalm 3, he is fleeing from Absalom and he asks the question, oh Lord, how many? How many are my foes? In Psalm 4, he's in distress. In Psalm 5, he's groaning. In Psalm 6, his soul is troubled. And then Psalm 7, we looked at last week, he has been wounded by the words that other people have spoken about him. And then we come to Psalm 8. And on the other side of Psalm 8... (laughs) Psalms 9 through 14, also Psalms of David. He's going to cry out for rescue. Psalm 10, he's going to ask the question in verse 1 Why, O Lord, do you stand so far away? But here in the middle, Psalm 8, he celebrates what God has created him to be, what God has created all of us to be. And David praises God, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. It's hard for us to hear it in that translation. It's hard for us to hear it in any English Bible, really. It sounds a little redundant, doesn't it? Oh, Lord, our Lord. He's saying the same thing twice. If you notice, that first word, Lord, is in all caps because that is actually the name of God. If we were to read this in Hebrew, it would look more like, Oh, Yahweh, or Oh, Adonai, our Lord. You know, when Moses called, when God called Moses to, to free his people, They had been in Egypt for 400 years. 400 years as slaves. 400 years of oppression in a foreign land. 400 years of oppression in a foreign land with foreign gods. That is, There were a lot of those foreign gods. It's easy to forget who you are. It's easy to forget that you are valuable to one God. It's easy to forget who you are. It's easy to forget who your God is. And so standing there before that burning bush... Moses asks God a question. When I go back and I tell them that you want to free them, who am I going to tell them you are? Who am I going to tell them has sent me? And in that, God gave Moses his name. You tell them, I am has sent you. Yahweh has sent you. Yahweh, I am. But hear what that name means signifies. Hear what that name says. I will be. My existence does not depend on you. I am not only here if you praise me. I don't exist just because you believe in me. You cannot in your love elevate me any higher than I already am. And by your disdain, by your indifference to me, you cannot reduce me. That's the God 
who told us His name, the God that we worship, the God that we praise. God's existence, His power is not dependent upon your praise. His name alone is majestic. And so, your fulfillment, my fulfillment, the fulfillment of our lives, your purpose, your reason to exist is to give Him praise. Psalm two or Psalm 8, verse 2, Out of the mouths of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. That sounds a little different than that version that you sent me off to camp with all those years ago. I remember the NIV very well. And the NIV says, out of the mouths of babes and, and, and children, you have ordained praise. You have established praise. But here it says, you have established strength. <laughs> praise is strength. Praise is strength. And children are a fortress. And realize in, in the society that David wrote this into, the society that David's writing this to, children were to be seen and not heard. Did you know that? They were to be seen. Children were a blessing for sure, but they really didn't count as people. You kept them out of the way. You didn't, you didn't pay any attention to children. You didn't give children any attention at all. But God turns society on its ear and He says, no, no, out of the mouths of babies, out of the mouths of infants, those who can't speak, they praise Me. You remember when the little children were brought to Jesus? Remember what He said? He said, let the children come to Me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. I always brag on this church. I always brag on this church for the way we welcome children. I have been in churches that do not welcome children. I have been in churches where immediately you're told there's another place we have for little kids. We love baby noises here at Kansas Christian Church, don't we? We love baby noises here. Baby noises mean life. Baby noises mean growth. Psalm 8 tells us that baby noises are strength. More than baby noises, I think about Jim and Maxine bringing Jason with them to church and Jason getting caught up in the worship and getting excited and looking at the stained glass windows and Jason making his noises. Those were praise. I think about Connor. I can't say as, as his father, I can't say that all of his noises are praise. <laughs> but I know that some of them are. They're close enough. But those noises, according to David, those noises are a foundation of praise. That's what verse 2 is telling us. Other people hear noise. You hear something greater. You see God's presence. You hear God's presence in that. Jesus said those children are known in heaven. And His point is, if the children are known in heaven, then of course you are known in heaven as well. And as the psalm continues, we also see that God has created you to know him. Praise isn't just for the sake of praise. We don't, we don't sing these songs because we have a quota to fill, right? You know, we'll get, we'll get docked if we don't sing all the songs. We have to sing the songs. Again, verse 2, out of the mouths of babes and infants, babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. You are not praising God simply because he deserves it or he desires it. You are praising God because you have an enemy. 
And that enemy lies to you. That enemy tells you you're no good. That enemy tells you you're worthless. That enemy tells you you're not important. That enemy tells you that you have screwed up far too many times to be welcome in the presence of a holy God. But you were created to praise the Creator of the universe. To praise Him, you have to know Him. But before you can know Him, before you ever can know Him, He already knows you. And while your enemy says no one would want you, God says, I'm crazy about you. And when you sing, whether it's beautiful, whether you croak, God says, that sounds right to me. That sounds beautiful to me. And in response, David declares in verses 3 and 4, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you cared for him. That's the question, isn't it? What have I done? What have I done to deserve God's attention? What have you done to merit His grace? David is asking, why would you care about me? Far too many people find their identity through something that can be taken away from them. You lose a job or you lose the ability to do that job. And for some people, they are just lost. They don't know who they are anymore a relationship ends whether that's husband and wife or even parent and child and you you lose your identity and and hear me out those things are important identity your identity is important those those things are important jobs and relationships but they are not who you are god calls us to find our identity in him and our identity in him can never be taken away from us the apostle paul figured that out eventually you know, we read about Paul. At one time, Paul found his identity and who he was and what he did. He was a student of the law by, by all accounts, the most brilliant student his teacher had ever taught. He was a powerful Pharisee. He calls himself a Hebrew of Hebrews. He said, I kept the law perfectly. He was passionate about his faith. And on the road to Damascus, all of that was taken away. And what he found was the God who wanted to be known by him. He found that the God who knew him wanted to be known. Philippians chapter 3, verses 3 through 11, Paul writes, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For this sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, and that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Those, those words fascinate me. I find hope and strength there. And I find this amazing reality, the amazing reality that anything that is precious to us, anything precious to us that can be taken away from us will only draw us closer to God. There are those who would build their lives on temporary things, things that could be taken from them and leave them not knowing who they are 
And in response to that, God has created you not only to praise Him, not only to know Him, but God has created you to reflect Him. Look at verses four, verses 5 and 6. Yet you have made Him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned Him with glory and honor. You have given Him dominion over the works of your hand. You have put all things under His feet. This, this is the tension we find ourselves in. We are created a little lower than the heavenly beings. A little lower than angels. And this is the part where I remind you, you, you don't become angels someday. If that was on your bucket list, scratch it off. You don't become angels. People we love who have gone on, they don't become angels. That, that would not be what they're created for. We don't have the benefit of being in God's presence for all of creation like an angel would. And yet, David declares that you and I have been crowned with glory and honor. We have been called to rule here as the pinnacle of God's creation. And that tension produces frustration. It frustrates us. Because we can never fully realize here who we are. I could stand here and tell I'm blue in my face. I could tell you that you were created in the image of God. I could tell you that God loves you. I could tell you that God has your, he has his full attention placed on you. And all it takes is one bad day or one bad word from someone else. And you'll forget it all. And you'll sink low and you'll crawl back inside yourself. You know, for a thousand years, this is just a really nice psalm. For a thousand years, this is just a really nice psalm. And people sang it when they got together and worshiped. They sang it. They glorified God. That is just a really nice psalm for a thousand years. And then Jesus comes along, and suddenly, when they sang these words, they saw new life and new meaning. At some point, the author of Hebrews, whoever that person was, read these words and recognized these words from this old psalm. They are pointing to Jesus. You have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, and crowned Him with glory and honor. You have given Him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under His feet. And the author of Hebrews got out his pen and his paper, and in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9, he wrote, but we see Him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely, Jesus we see Him crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death so that by the grace of God He might taste death for everyone. And suddenly, we all heard this psalm anew. The Son of Man. That's Jesus. Crowned with glory and honor. We can't miss it. That's Jesus. But it's not just Jesus. And don't miss your place here too. Because you see, your ultimate fulfillment, the ultimate fulfillment of who you're created to be is found in Jesus. And it's not that this psalm is only about Jesus and has nothing to do with us. Rather, Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of this psalm and of everything that God created us to be. God created us to praise Him. Jesus shows us what that looks like in a life that's completely given over to praise. God created us to know Him. Jesus shows us what that looks like when He says, if you've seen Me, you've seen the Father. God created us to rule for Him. To have dominion over all creation. (laughs) 
verses 7 and 8, all sheep and oxen, beasts of the field, birds of the heavens, fish of the sea, whatever passes along the path of the sea. God created us to rule, have dominion over all creation. Sin stole that from us. Sin frustrated all of creation. And then Jesus says in Matthew 28, verse 18, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, so I'm sending you into the world. And He promised us, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. In Jesus Himself, we find God's presence in our lives we find His purpose for our lives and we realize that no one is so small that they escape God's notice or live without His purpose. The psalm begins and ends with the same words. Did you notice that? Verse 1 is the same as verse 9. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is Your name in all the earth. The focus is on the name of God. Yahweh, I am, I will be. You cannot reduce me by your sin. You cannot make me any less of who I am by your sin, your faithlessness. You cannot change who I am. This is who I am and this is my name forever. You know, in the ancient world, if you met a stranger, you wouldn't give them your name. You'd give them a different name. Because to know someone's name was to have power over them. To know someone's name was to have power over them. God gives us His name because He's not worried about you having power over Him. He wants you to know Him. He wants you to know His name. O Lord, Yahweh, our God, our Lord, how majestic is Your name in all the earth. And then Jesus comes along. And through His love, He shows us the love of God. And through His sacrifice, He shows us the depths that God is willing to go to remove that sin that has separated us from Him. And with that in mind, going back to Philippians one more time in chapter 2, verses 9-11, through Paul writes this. He writes, Therefore, God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father there are people in your life who are going to make you feel small there are people in your life who are going to make you feel insignificant don't let them do that the Creator has shared His name with you. He has given Himself to you. You know Him. He knows you. There are people in our lives who don't know that yet. There are people in our lives who don't know that and they feel small. Some of them are in your families. Some of them are in our community. How do we lift them up? How do we help them see who they are created to be? Jesus says all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, so I'm sending you. You tell them who I am. Tell them who I created them to be. Show them my love. <laughs> you go and love them, and you love them until they follow you home. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens out of the mouths of babies and infants. You have established strength 
because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him, that you've made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all the sheep and the oxen, the beasts of the field, the birds of the heaven, the fish of the sea, and whatever it is that passes along the path of the sea. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Will you pray with me? <laughs> Father, I pray. I can hear Connor in the other room. Everyone can. <sighs> well, we may not always understand Connor's noises because we know you we know there's praise there Lord there's other people in our lives and <laughs> while they can speak perfectly fine we don't always understand their noises either but never let us miss never let us miss the image of you that is built into who they are that they have been created in your image that they are worthy of love and that above all else, as we show them the love of Christ, we can show them how to praise. We can show them the God that desperately wants them to know Him. And we can show them Christ by reflecting Him to them. Lord, You've given us a world to share Your love with. More than that, You've given us neighbors. You've given us friends, family members. Help us in in our knowledge of You, not to overlook those who need to see You most clearly. Give us hearts that know who we are, who we've been created to be, so that we can share Your Son with them. In a moment, we'll take communion, Lord. As we come to Your table, as we take the bread, as we take the juice, we're reminded of the One who gave all for us. It is not too much to ask that we love our neighbors. It is not too much to ask that we seek the image of God in those who have even hurt us so that they might know You and they might know Your love. Bless this time as we gather together as we take today. Bless the bread. Bless the cup. And we ask Your blessing upon those that we'll encounter that as we take Christ into ourselves that they might see Him overflowing in our love. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.